Hello, I'm John Dennis. It's Thursday the 5th of November. Today, the investigation continues into the deaths of five British servicemen who died in a gun attack in Helmand province. It may be that uh, the Taliban uh, have uh, used uh, an Afghan uh, police uh, member or they have infiltrated the Afghan police force and that is what we've got to look at. But it is the Taliban that have claimed responsibility for this, for this incident. The killings throw into doubt the NATO policy of bolstering Afghan security forces. We've heard reports and they're around at the moment that they are that there's more corruption, there's more involvement in, in, in theft and bribery and, and, uh, and, and drug taking and all those sorts of things. And also today, The Guardian's resident chef, Allegra McEverdy, urges British food producers to claim EU-protected status for their delicacies. You know, just because our cider vinegar isn't aged for a hundred years, it's just as good as balsamic vinegar. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk. First, Sue Mansfield has the headlines. The United Nations is moving half of its international staff out of Afghanistan. It's taking 600 out of the country and finding safer areas for the remainder of its team in the country. It comes the day after five British soldiers were killed by an Afghan policeman. Last week, five UN workers were also killed by a Taliban suicide bomber in Kabul. General Motors is going to cut 10,000 jobs in its European companies, Vauxhall in Britain and Opel in Germany. That's the price for GM deciding not to sell the two firms after all. It's a similar number to the cuts planned by the Canadian company who wanted to buy up the European operation. The German Workers' Union say they are now discussing a strike. In the dispute at British Airways, which wants to reduce cabin crew, the Union Unite is taking the company to court. There's already going to be a ballot on a strike and now there's going to be a court action against BA's plans to make all cabin staff sign a new contract of employment. The French government is accusing the Conservative Party of castrating Britain's position in Europe. In an exclusive interview with The Guardian, the French Europe minister Pierre Lelouch has attacked the new Tory policy on Europe announced yesterday for being pathetic. David Cameron promised a parliamentary bill to stop any further powers being transferred to Brussels without a referendum. Football and Arsenal enjoyed another high-scoring win in the Champions League, beating AZ Alkmaar 4-1. Liverpool's woes continue, however, after they drew one all with Lyon. They're now in danger of not getting through to the knockout stage. Almost every morning paper puts the killing of five soldiers in Afghanistan on its front page. Both the Independent and our paper speak of the killing by the enemy within. The Telegraph says the soldiers were betrayed, while the Times call it a bloody betrayal. The Mirror says the men were shot down having their tea, and the Sun says that the Taliban gunman posed as an ally. The Mail writes that the killer was an Afghan policeman they trained and trusted. What kind of war is this? And we report that British commanders fear Taliban infiltration as troops hunt assassin. We leave with the comments of the French Europe Minister who accuses the Tory party of being autistic in their attitude to the EU. The Telegraph reports David Cameron's statement with his plea that his MP should concentrate on fixing the economy and not make Europe a big deal. The Sun simply puts it that Cameron promises to keep us out of an EU state. Finally, The Express and The Telegraph keep stirring up the controversy over MPs' expenses. The Telegraph reports that senior MPs push for bumper pay rise after cutting expenses and The Express puts a figure on it with a bold headline, We want £40,000 a year pay rise. Don't forget, there's more throughout the day on guardian.co.uk. The families of five more British soldiers are in mourning today. 
The servicemen from the Grenadier Guards and Military Police were shot dead at a checkpoint by a man the Ministry of Defence described as a rogue Afghan policeman. One of the things that I'm concerned about uh, are the suggestions appearing uh, in other areas of the media uh, that this was some kind of breakdown between us and the Afghan National Police at a broader level and that it was fighting between British soldiers and Afghan National Police, which is simply not the case. Uh, our initial understanding of what happened yesterday was that this appears to be uh, an individual, uh, a rogue, uh, who has committed this. Uh, and we are putting every effort, as you can imagine, uh, into tracking this man down and those responsible for it. The Taliban claimed they were responsible, according to the Prime Minister Gordon Brown. The Guardian's correspondent in Kabul is John Boone. Well, it happened at about 3.15 in the afternoon, and the platoon of soldiers, of British soldiers, who were based in a Afghan National Police checkpoint very close to the district centre of a place called Nadali in central Helmand, had just returned from a patrol of the surrounding area, Um, We don't know exactly what happened next, but it's extremely likely that the men uh, were were resting after their patrol. They had probably put their guns to one side and taken their helmets off. That's the the normal sort of thing that soldiers do when they come back in to a secure area after they've been out patrolling. And then it appears this policeman, who the MOD described as a rogue policeman, um, opened fire on these men when they were in... Uh, very little position to defend themselves. This man, who local villagers uh, have named as a man called Gulbadin, uh, from the northern Helmandi town of Musikala, then apparently fled the scene of the crime, le- leaving these these five dead soldiers behind him, as well as two uh, de- two we're told um, dead Afghan national policemen as well. Do we know anything about the the motivation of the killer and and whether he was acting alone? We just have pure speculation at the moment. We've been told from a couple of sources that this man had recently had a quite a serious argument with the commanding officer who he'd worked with for at least a year or more. And after that argument, he had then gone to work for a, a new commander who ran this uh, police checkpoint on the edge of, of, of Nad Ali. Now, we, we just don't know whether that has anything to do with the crime at all, whether this was simply uh, just a, uh, a moment where, where tempers frayed. There's been speculation that he had been disciplined. There's even speculation that he could have been in some way tied up with insurgent groups. Again, I stress it's just speculation, although the Afghan National Police does have uh, does struggle with both discipline training and there there are concerns that the organization has been infiltrated by insurgents particularly as training times and vetting processes have had to be had to be drastically reduced in recent years in order to try and increase the number of AMP uh, of policemen available in in the country now again we just don't know whether this man had been uh, recently recruited I and mean, it seems not he'd apparently been a policeman for some time um, so it, it's all, all guesswork at the moment. John Boone in Kabul well Sean Smith one of the Guardian's photographers has been embedded with the US and British forces in Afghanistan he's captured on video moments of tension between NATO forces and the Afghan army. They're arresting these suspected uh, Taliban <laughs> And here they are, just hey, executing personal business. One time we came over here, they were just like 
Oh, we, we don't have any ammo. The only thing, we can't go out on patrol. We can just stay here. It's like, everybody I see has a full rack full of magazines, so. You're not ready. You don't have a helmet on. Helmet the Jeep doesn't have a rifle right now. How is he ready? It's like having 26 kids that I have to watch after. It really is. And you can see Sean Smith's film at guardian.co.uk slash video. Well, Paul Cornish is head of international security at the think tank Chatham House. He said the incident showed it was questionable as to whether the Afghan police could be trusted. This, in a sense, goes to the heart of this problem. I mean, we've been hearing for really several years now that the Afghan police, the ANP as they're known, the Afghan National Police, are a different scale of problem vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Afghan National Army, the ANA, that I mean, we've heard reports and they're around at the moment that they are, that there's more corruption, there's more involvement in in, in theft and bribery and, and, uh, and, and drug taking and all those sorts of things. So there's, there's been a general sense that they've been more of a challenge, more of a problem, problem than the ANA. Uh, and I think that's really going to be an important part of the investigation that's just begun after these uh, appalling events. What kind of training do the Afghan police get? Well, I think that's been the problem. In the past, very little. And you saw, I think, you know, the quality of the recruits uh, was very low, the quality of training. And in a sense, I, I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying they, they'd go for lengthy periods of time without you know, receiving any, uh, any support in terms of pay or anything else. And so it's not surprising in a way that they had to live on their own wits. We've just heard a clip from a film by The Guardian photographer Sean Smith embedded with NATO forces in Afghanistan. He captured moments of tension with the Afghan army. How unusual are such incidents? I suspect not very unusual, to be honest. Um, but I think there have always been um, tensions. And I think really, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to be wise after the event here. I think this is very important. There's an investigation going and it's all been a, a really pretty horrible um, event. But I would imagine there must be tensions at, at various levels. I mean, not, not least because, of course, there's a language problem. Uh, and you've got professional men, by and large, uh, involved in uh, you know, in pretty tense situations. And if you have to communicate your uh, your concerns or your orders or whatever through an interpreter, that creates tension. And then there's the question, which I've touched on earlier, of the, the sheer professionalism. You've got armed soldiers from the UK and, and, and the US and so on, extremely highly trained, very, very professional people. Uh, and they are dealing with and trying to train and mentor uh, people who really aren't up to standard in many cases. And so you can imagine that it would have been lots of tensions. Paul Cornish from Chatham House. These latest killings provoked anger and disbelief among rank-and-file soldiers. Some expressed their views on the message board of the Army Rumour Service website. Can we just translate Taliban dressed as ANP Afghan soldiers as a bunch of traitorous scum who successfully infiltrated our lines and distilled what everyone already thought into one single, calamitous, inevitable, murderous incident? This won't be the last. R.I.P. lads. Sad, sad news. Betrayed by our friends, unloved by our people, unsupported by our government. R.I.P. guys. As soon as they said five by gunshot wounds, it had to be an inside job. Not the first. The US had a similar incident earlier this year, and I fear it won't be the last case of side changing or infiltration. Afghanistan is not worth one British life. The troops' deaths in Afghanistan overshadowed Prime Minister's questions yesterday in the Commons. This was David Cameron. 
Mr Speaker, everyone will agree with what the Prime Minister said about working with the police, but clearly the attack raises questions about the infiltration of the Afghan police by criminals, by drug dealers, by militants. In evidence to the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, the Afghan police was described as one of the most dysfunctional institutions in the country, with reports that the police were actively involved in criminal activities, including the drugs trade. Now, we all agree on a more focused and a more targeted mission in Afghanistan, and at the heart of that mission, as the Prime Minister has just said, is training Afghans to take more responsibility for their security. But given that, what more can he say about the efforts to clean up an organisation, the Afghan National Police, which is both essential to the excess of our, success of our strategy, but seems to be still going so wrong. I have to say to him that uh, while we are assembling evidence, the Taliban have claimed responsibility for this, uh, this incident. Uh, and so it may be that uh, the Taliban uh, have uh, used uh, an Afghan uh, police uh, member or they have infiltrated the Afghan police force, and that is what we've got to look at. But it is the Taliban that have claimed responsibility for this, for this incident. There are about 98,000 police uh, in Afghanistan. Many of them have been moved from one part of Afghanistan to, to another. Uh, there is an issue about their training that we are addressing with a European effort to make sure that police are properly trained. We will have to increase the number of police, but it's clear we'll have to increase the quality of police as well. And I would not want to draw conclusions about all the Afghan police from one single incident. What we know is that the Taliban have claimed responsibility for this. Gordon Brown, and you can listen to the full Prime Minister's questions at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Also on The Guardian's website today. I'm Sarah Phillips from G2, The Guardian's daily feature section. Online today, Stephen Moss speaks to controversial comedian Jimmy Carr about the appropriateness of his jokes. Emma Nassana goes in search of Victoria Beckham's new pet of choice, the micro pig. And Paula Kokotza reports on the rise of designer fashion for kids. All this and more at guardian.co.uk forward slash G2. If you buy some Parma ham or Parmesan cheese, you know it's been produced in the Parma region of Italy. It's got special protection from the European Union, along with more than 300 other local delicacies from France and Italy. But there are just 38 foodstuffs produced in Britain that receive that special status. Now the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, or DEFRA, is campaigning to get more British specialty food producers to apply. I asked The Guardian's resident chef, Allegra McEverdy, what other UK foods could qualify. Well, I mean, anything. I mean, that's the point. Anything that you think is, you know, they're sort of, you know, lovely, wonderful asparagus or watercress, you know, from a specific region that has a flavour because of where it's grown. You know, Kentish cobnuts are delicious, fantastic this time of year. You know, they're just, and it'd be lovely to see those get a bit more publicity as well because they're still a bit of a, a hidden gem. Um, and then you've got sort of produced foods like, you know, like the Melton Mowbray pork pie. I mean, the, the Melton Mowbray people are in and the Cornish pasty people are in. <laughs> The Scotch egg people have missed the boat because that's the other thing is that if you can't get if we don't get this accreditation in you know quite quickly, then you'll have a situation like we have with cheddar cheese, which is you know you can't cheddar cheese doesn't have a um, an accreditation because the industry has been you know they make so much of it in North America now Canada and the states that we don't we don't we no longer own that you know as a, as a name we Brits don't own cheddar even though. You know, that's that region down in Somerset where the cheese was first made. So it's a kind of, it's also a matter of reclaiming back what's ours, you know, uh, what's our culinary heritage, um, as opposed to just letting it slip and slide for the rest of the world. <laughs> the full English has gone, gone the way of cheddar cheese as well. <laughs> and what, what are the benefits of getting this accreditation? Well, I mean, one is just 
putting us on the map in terms of um, next to our EU partners. Another is that it enables the, it's a guarantee for small producers that you know, other larger producers with, well, you know, or, or factories with less scruples um, can't come in. I mean, that's how the Melton Mowbray thing came about, is that Pork Farms came in and set up next door to them and said, said we're making Melton Mowbray pork pies. And they weren't making them in the, you know, the age-old way that they had always been made in Melton Mowbray. But there was nothing that the people could do, the traditional pie makers could do. So, they, you know, that's why they applied for a, um, a I think it's a PFN, and they asked for, they said, you know, we'd like to have, um, you know, it needs to be hand-raised, it needs to be spiced in a certain way. It's a way of safeguarding. Is there also a problem in Britain that people aren't really aware of, uh, in, in this country, of the, of the specialities that are produced here? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you're, I mean, when you're putting us up against things like Parma ham and, you know, balsamic vinegar, you know, there are people who say that, you know, we don't have food of that class here. But, I mean, they are wrong. Um, and, you know, just because our cider vinegar, um, you know, isn't, isn't aged for 100 years, you can just, you know, age it, you know, for a short amount of time, it's just as good as balsamic vinegar. And we have teasers here that are just as good as, as a parmesan. But it's just, you know, we've got great hams here that is just as good as parma ham. So it's not that we haven't got it. It's just that we need to have a little bit more pride. And, um, you know, and from the producer's point of view, they need to go in and actually, you know, do the work and get that accreditation because it's not that simple but DEFRA are now providing support for that but from a consumer's point of view we need to be looking for these these little marks and knowing what they mean and knowing how important they are to the producers um, and to to our our, you know our our country's um, culinary heritage. Allegra McEverdy my name's John Dennis. Coming up in Guardian Daily, Simon Mann, the British mercenary, is back in the UK after being released from prison in Equatorial Guinea after being pardoned for his role in a failed coup attempt. More intriguingly, he's also talked about wanting to stand up in a witness box in a British court and testify against, uh, in particular, Sir Mark Thatcher, the son of the former British Prime Minister. But first... David Cameron has confirmed that what he said was the Tories' cast-iron guarantee of a referendum on the EU-Lisbon Treaty was no longer party policy. But he promised a sovereignty bill to stop any further powers being transferred to Brussels without a referendum. The Guardian's chief political correspondent, Nicholas Watt, questioned the Conservative leader about his new position at a press conference. Nick Watt from The Guardian. Uh, You mentioned the EU budget negotiations that will take place in the lifetime of the next Parliament and the financial regulations that will, negotiations that will take place uh, over the next year. Um, can I just ask you on those, to coin a phrase on the EU budget, can you give a cast-iron guarantee that there will be no further reduction in the British rebate if you're Prime Minister, and if there were an attempt to do that, you would veto it? Secondly, on financial regulation, because that's decided by QMV, are you prepared in those negotiations to use the Luxembourg Compromise that allows you... So just repeat the last bit. Which was the on the financial regulation, because right. it's decided by yeah. QMV, are you prepared to use the Luxembourg Compromise that would allow you as a Prime Minister to veto a threat to a vital yeah. national interest? On the second issue, I can remember from my former time in Whitehall, the great debates that take place about the existence and the power and the uh, weight of the Luxembourg Compromise and the extent to which it it really exists. I think it's a good argument uh, for why you shouldn't allow the endless extension of QMV because actually so rarely has it been invoked and has been used. That's an argument for trying to stop the endless 
um, removal of our vetoes. That's why we don't support and didn't support in the Lisbon Treaty um, the endless passage of all these vetoes. On the British rebate, we have a very clear view. We think that the last uh, part of giving up the British rebate was a huge mistake. What did Tony Blair get in return? Absolutely nothing. He came back and said there were all sorts of promises about reviewing um, the, the, uh, the, um, the, the agricultural policy. Nothing changed. It was money given away for absolutely no purpose. And we don't think that Britain should be giving up its rebate. We want to make sure that Europe's budget is controlled properly. And we'd also, as I said, use both those negotiations and future accession negotiations to help achieve our goals, which again, reasonable, realistic, practical, deliverable, we're aiming to do across a parliament, rather than believe you should pitch yourself into some six-month euro war uh, to try and achieve it all at once. Guardian Daily. News and reports from around the world. The British mercenary Simon Mann is back in the UK after being released from prison in Equatorial Guinea, where he was convicted of plotting to overthrow the government. He says he'll testify in a British court against his alleged co-conspirators, including Mark Thatcher, son of the former Prime Minister. Mark Thatcher pleaded guilty in a South African court of unwittingly helping to fund the attempted coup. Well, The Guardian's Robert Booth has got the story. He's here now. Rob, Rob, what's Simon Mann going to do now he's back in the UK? He's back in the UK, and um, as you've said, he's interested in testifying. He's also said, of course, um, at Luton Airport yesterday when he arrived, that he's very keen to uh, meet his son Arthur, who he's never seen before, and presumably he'll be returning um, home to his mansion in Hampshire in the New Forest, which he shares uh, with his wife. More intriguingly, he's also talked about wanting to stand up in a witness box in a British court and testify against, uh, in particular, Sir Mark Thatcher, the son of the former British Prime Minister, and uh, a man called Eli Khalil, both of whom he accuses of um, being part of the plot. They, of course, deny that. You have to sort of take what he said about uh, Eli Khalil and Mark Thatcher slightly with a pinch of salt, don't you? Because he did say that while he was in Equatorial Guinea. Yes, and this has been pointed out today that he 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 was saying this before he left, and therefore he still had some obligations, perhaps, and may even have been under duress. Now. You could also say that he has been cooperating with the Metropolitan Police. In fact, they've spent 23 days there during 2008 interviewing him at Black Beach Prison. Um, And it's been reported that he's been very, very cooperative with them. So it sort of raises questions about whether, you know, they are actually ready to use him in some way as a as a star witness in any potential prosecution. Although it has to be said a, a trial date could be some way off. They don't really seem to be ready to, you know, complete their investigations and uh Nobody's been um, interviewed under caution or arrested even by the Metropolitan Police in terms of this investigation. So it, um, it doesn't seem that advanced. And Mann's story uh, might be worth quite a lot of money. Indeed. Obviously, there's a great excitement about his story. It's very much like uh, Frederick Forsyth's novel, The Dogs of War, which featured a, a coup in an African country, a failed coup in an African country by British mercenaries. And publishers that I've talked to have banded around figures of £250,000 for an advance, although they do caution that he'll have to reinvent himself somewhat as a, um, as a, as a more sympathetic character because they fear that readers may not be entirely sympathetic to someone who has operated as a mercenary for so long. Rob Money, thanks. Phil Maynard and Tim Maybe produced today's edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening.